0: Tell me right. Tell me right. Tell me, right. Tell me you're right. You're right. What's the price? Prices, prices going up, prices 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 prices. Prices, 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 prices prices, prices going up, Hold on. What's the price? What's the price? Prices going up. Prices. Hold on. Prices going up. Going up. Hold on. Woo, woo, woo. And welcome, Marketing Principles, MKTG 3000 students. Glad that you have joined me in this podcast lecture for chapter 19, our final episode, Pricing Concepts, and we will be dealing with some basic pricing concepts and mechanisms for setting price in this entry-level marketing 3,000 marketing principles course. Hopefully, you have found the quite logical connection between my theme song and the topic of today. This particular lecture. What's the price? Prices, prices going up. What's the price? It gets you to think how do we determine price and what should be the price? And so we start with our chapter 19 and we see the learning objectives are given. And we start with the importance of price. Price serves very direct mechanism, uses very direct mechanisms to serve a particular role in the marketing mix. And we know what those are. First of all, to the seller, on your slide number five, the seller price is revenue. That's the marketer. To the consumer, price is cost, something that they have to give up, cost, whereas revenue is something that comes in to the seller. And then in the economy, price is used as a signal to allocate resources based on supply and demand. We define price as your slide six, that which is given up in exchange to acquire a good or service. If you notice, a monetary definition was not given because price in addition to monetary exchange includes time, effort, And even what is referred to as psychic value, giving up your mental energy or mental perception in exchange, excuse me, mental attention in exchange for a product or service. In the digital and social media environment, most of the prices being paid are being paid with cognitive attention, not money. So it's whatever you give up in exchange to acquire a good or service. And so we have different effects of price. The sacrifice effect of what sacrifice to give it to uh, sacrifice to get a good or service, money, time, reputation, dignity, psychic value, they call that. And it's listed here as dignity. The information effect, how. Infer quality of information based on price. If it's a high quality product, then that's conveyed through higher price and status and prestige and the value based on uh, perceived satisfaction. And that's reasonable price or specifically fair value pricing. We then move to your slide number um, eight, which shows you the two uh, main Reasons for uh, price strategy in the uh, business model, which is to generate revenue And then by generating more revenue, when you subtract expenses or costs, price has the effect of increasing profitability There are trends that are influencing price The flood of new products, new innovations, global trade, uh, products from all over the world uh, Digital virtual products Uh, Experiential products, different types of products influence the types of pricing. Generic brands, bargain based, price cutting, uh, eco uh, friendly and socially responsible pricing. Internet comparison. They call that show uh, showrooming. Um, and, And whether it's where. Pricing is occurring in economic cycles, in booms or busts, expansions or recessions. These are all the broader influences on price in society. Now, for us, we will not be dealing with these broad influences. We'll be dealing with specific pricing objectives for the firm and in particular for the marketer uh, and brand manager. And the pricing objectives, as shown in your slide eleven, will either be profit-oriented. And what that means is that the amount of return will have to be maximized, and that does require revenue, but it requires equally requires reduction and constraints on cost and expenses. So profit is this ratio between i should not even it's not it is a ratio in terms of the return but let me use the simpler way it's a subtraction of cost from revenue and so it entails a profit-oriented pricing objective should generate enough revenue but also be able to have the company keep the cost of those particular products or services uh, constrained so that the subtraction of the cost from the revenue will maximize the profit. On the other hand, the second pricing objective, sales oriented, only relies on that first element in the subtraction formula, the revenue. If you're sales oriented, you're pricing to increase revenue, and that typically means a lowering of price. Status quo means that you're attempting to maintain either historically the way the brand has been, uh, uh, the market space it has occupied, you want to uh, keep that uh, going, or status quo can mean in comparison to uh, competing brands. If you're typically been the a higher priced brand, you maintain that. If you've typically been the lower priced brand or the, the me too second to highest price brand, whatever that is, status quo means to maintain that. It also means to maintain pricing within particular segments. So status quo, and it does not mean it's an easy objective to obtain. It just means that it's continuity, but there are still uh, things that have to be done to be able to persist with the status quo uh, pricing. It does not happen all by itself, even if the objective is to remain relatively the same. So we break down profit-oriented uh, pricing, there are three options there. Looking at your slide 12, you can maximize profit, and that's meaning really uh, to look at how low can cost be and how high can revenues be. And so there are uh, analytics that are done uh, to determine that, and then once that Result is calculated, it's up to the uh, company and the brand manager to then put in place those operations to lower costs and those uh, marketing uh, functions to raise revenue. Then, satisfactory uh, profits is not as uh, extreme. It really means to come into a reasonable cost level and a reasonable revenue level so that compared to prior time periods, or competitors, you're making satisfactory profits and more specifically than competitors to investors so that um, you are able to return earnings. Then when the investor comes into full view for certain companies and for certain brands, the investor expects to receive a targeted return on investment. That was contractually promised to them when they either bought equity shares in your company, purchased a company bond that's called debt. And when these investments are made, if you don't return the investment uh, of profit that was promised, then they can sell uh, the financial instrument. And as a result, the company will have less liquid Financial conditions, and so you have to meet that target return on investment If you ever watch the business channels on TV, you'll see that in certain periods Quarterly periods that everyone is uh, Publicly traded companies are required to report all kinds of metrics uh, That show did they meet their target return? What type of factors caused them And then they have to give what's called guidance as to what their target return will be going forward. And those are all examples of when the investor comes to the fore for certain companies and certain industries. And the profit oriented pricing objective has to deliver on the return on investment that has been promised. Then the slide, subsequent slides, go into uh, specific descriptions of each of those. I have given a very thorough explanation, so I will move past those slides. We then come to the two primary forms of implementing sales-oriented pricing objectives. Both of these will deal with the revenue generation capacity of the price. And in one case, it's market share. And so if the price is generating enough revenue to continue to acquire new customers in opposition to competing companies or brands, the market share is your slice of the overall pie compared to competitors. If the price is, is, is maintaining the market share and growing the market share at a, at a standard price, at the, uh, a, a continuing price, Or even if raising price is causing the market share to continue to either be maintained or go up, that's fine. But typically, market share increases as price decreases. So it is possible that market share uh, sales pricing objective can exist with continuing price or raising price, but it is far more likely that lower price or discounted pricing is going to be associated with market share. And then sales maximization follows further. Now we are not really looking at, in comparison to competitors, we're merely looking at maximizing the number of sales that our brand or company will achieve. And so we're we're laser being focused on lowering the price. And in many cases, for strategic reasons, in many cases, sales maximization will authorize a price below what is profitable. The subsequent slides again give a description and definition of market share and sales maximization. And you can see that my description has been thorough enough that we can bypass those slides. We now come to status quo pricing, and I have already explained both of those options for status quo as maintaining existing prices. That would be status quo over time or status quo in comparison to competition. I gave an additional example of status quo pricing that is not represented in the slide which is status quo perception within particular target markets of customers. Now we look at the supply and demand determinants of price. Price is an economic formula based on overall exchange between supply and demand in the aggregate economy. And really then at a company level or product or brand level, we take the same economic calculation and bring it to the supply or demand for our particular product or service. So demand is the quantity of a product that will be sold and supply, supply is the quantity of the product that will be offered. I like the term bought. It's a lot clearer. Because sold implies a seller, and the seller is on the supply side. So it's okay, but I like the definition of the quantity of the product that will be bought. And now the buyer is demand. And then supply is the quantity of the product that will be offered. It then show uh, demand, and as you should recall from your microeconomics, demand is the downward sloping curve. With quantity as your horizontal axis and dollar as your vertical axis. I can draw these in my sleep. Supply is the upward sloping curve with quantity as your horizontal axis and price as your, or uh, dollars as your vertical axis. And we don't have to guess what happens. We put them together to reach what's called price equilibrium. And then those in finance and accounting and economics would do additional types of calculations and computations for marginal revenue, marginal cost and um, um, unit pricing and other types of things. But for our purposes, just recognize that the price as an economic calculation is derived from the intersection of a downward sloping demand curve and an upward sloping supply curve. And that intersection point is called a price um, equilibrium. And then elasticity will, be, will impact demand based on the factors of elasticity that affect customers in particular segments. And so what this means is the price equilibrium may not always be the price that is viable Because if there is elastic demand and the price equilibrium is regarded as above what is the product or brand's value, that level won't last. Even though in the economic calculation, it is the equilibrium price. And there's there's our equilibrium price of intersecting downward sloping demand curve, upward sloping supply curve in your slide 24, And there is the elasticity of demand uh, units, elastic demand, inelastic demand, and unitary elastic that's used uh, as a general benchmark. Elastic demand, of course, is many of the consumer products that we buy, apparel, food. We uh, don't have to be uh, given a college degree to figure out that when the price goes up, we are less likely to buy. But then there are inelastic products within the market as well, medicines, uh, certain uh, premium prestige products, insurance and certain financial services that are regarded as valuable even as the incremental price of those services go up, they're relatively inelastic. There's an elasticity of demand calculation that's not that tough, but we're not required to address it on the final exam. And so I will not cover that formula on pay, on your slide 26. It is important that you know the functions of elasticity of demand, and they're very straightforward. They're given in your slide 27. I'll go through those quickly. When price goes down, revenue goes up because demand is elastic. Or we could really say demand goes up when price goes down, revenue goes down if demand is inelastic. So that if it's inelastic demand, the customer does not respond to the movement in price or demand does not shift in response to price. So you lower the price and if your customers or your particular product is regarded as inelastic, you simply lose revenue. But if it is an inelastic product and price goes up, then revenue goes up. And the lesson from that is, once you find your customers for your particular product are relatively inelastic, again, this is in the minority, uh, a smaller proportion. But if you find that you have relative inelasticity, you can raise the price. There's you, there's no need to not be getting more revenue and more profit. Many of the entertainment and uh, image and uh, social uh, celebrity types of products uh, are inelastic. Uh, There used to be a saying in sports marketing that there is no level of price that you can't charge for tickets if your team is winning, and they do. And it's amazing, even with what's called luxury booths and season tickets, the luxury boots, if we had to live in them, we'd call them trailers. They're just not that big of a deal. But within the context of the stadium and the sports event, people pay what is the equivalent of a million dollar condominium for a luxury box at a arena or stadium. And again, I'm not criticizing that, I'm showing you an example of inelasticity. It's regarded as still holding its value because of the association with the team and the emotional value of the experience of the sporting or entertainment event. But then the more common, larger proportion of products are elastic and if price goes up. We will not garner those benefits as inelastic demand, we will in fact lose revenue. And then up or down, if the revenue basically stays the same, then we know we're dealing with a unitary elastic product and customer base. Let's now look at what we've already been inferring, a specific itemization of the factors that affect elasticity. Availability of substitutes. If you don't have substitutes, you're not likely to switch even if price goes up. So uh, that would cause customers to continue to purchase even an elastic product when the price went up because of the lack of availability of substitutes. If the purchasing power, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. And once the price goes out of your budget, you stop buying it. If you have the money, you may continue to buy it even though it's elastic until The proportion of your purchasing power um, is minimized. The durability of the product. Customers uh, make estimates not just of the value of the product at purchase, but over the long term, how durable, how long lasting the product will be over use. And if that is regarded as high, customers will be willing, even for an elastic product like furniture, to pay more because it's perceived to be a longer term purchase, a purchase that has multiple use over time. If the product has multiple uses in different uh, situations, tools, for instance, uh, then the uh, value will be seen as being retained even as price goes up and it will be a buffer on elasticity. And if the rate of inflation is relatively low, uh, that means the The overall value of products or overall price, uh, then elasticity will have less of an effect because the increase in price for relatively low inflation environments will not be perceived as onerous. By contrast, if it's a high inflation environment, any increase in price will bite the consumer. Now we get into yield systems. You'll find on your Uh, Final exam, chapter 19, uh, question concept table that yield management systems are not going to be on the final. But I cover them quickly because uh, it's not that difficult to understand. You want to maximize yield through price. And there are a variety of situations where that has to be done, where you can't just set a particular price. You have to look at the yield and vary price. Uh, To maximize the yield. We know these as performance situations and entertainment and athletics Also education in terms of classrooms, although most education institutions don't use effective yield management, but many of the private universities and online do Uh, We know this as public transport or transportation uh, business models all of these Have the objective of putting meat in the seats and if you don't have meat in the seats you have to do something to price to get meat in the seats because keeping a standard or set or expected price and not generating yield will not allow you to survive as a business so businesses often use a variety of approaches to yield management they may lower the price uh, and closer it gets to flight time, the closer it gets to uh, the performance uh, to make sure also there has been uh, there have been approaches used in yield management systems uh, to artificially inflate the price in advance um, so that excuse me uh, it's just the opposite to artificially lower the price in advance a much lower price in advance, so that they'll get overflow, sometimes twice as many people as can fit in the facility or on the plane. And then they can raise the price as it comes closer to the takeoff or the event um, and give a discount to those who have purchased in advance. So there are a variety of ways to use yield management systems. I wanted you to be aware of them even though you're not accountable for it. As we move to the cost determinant of price in your slide 35, these are the nuts and bolts, the building blocks, and you are responsible for these. There are variable costs and fixed costs as the two types of costs. Combining those creates total cost. Variable cost changes with the level of output or production in physical environments, that's material and blue collar labor or unsalaried labor. Fixed costs do not change as the output or production changes. These are things like overhead, rent, utilities may vary but they don't vary in direct relationship. Sometimes there's a stepwise function they call that. So some utilities are moderately, uh, are are relatively fixed. They have moderate increases such as your water bill or gas bill. In terms of the output the building still has to be lit and heated and the water has to flow whether you're producing one product or a million products but obviously if you have an electric um, assembly uh, process electricity will go up if it requires gas uh, uh, the gas bill will go up or water the water bill will go up but in general utilities are fixed Also, salaries and marketing expense and legal and other staff functions are fixed so that they do not vary. What you see once you divide the pricing cost into variable and fixed is how you can determine price. As we go to your slide 37, You can combine all of the variable costs, material and labor of all of your products and then set the price above the average variable uh, cost to make sure that it's covered. And we would recognize that some of the products would be losing money if their uh, cost is above the average and others will be making uh, proportionately more uh, profit if they're below, but it's a average benchmark. Or you can use the average total cost, which if you have a large fixed cost uh, structure with lots of buildings, uh, lots of uh, managerial uh, salaries, then you might want to make sure your price accounts for that and you'd use an average total cost. Still recognizing that the bundle in the average would mean that some of the um, uh, products will uh, contribute more because they're uh, below the average and others will contribute less or the more common of the approaches is the marginal cost method and this is a method as i mentioned earlier that requires you to compete uh, compute the intersection of the supply and demand curves for the next unit produced so it's on a real time basis that you know the cost of each additional unit. And you might ask, why do I want to have that sophisticated and precise uh, a calibration to know the cost of the next product or product produced or service delivered? It's so that you can factor in what's called economies of scale so that total cost, And variable cost does not account for the fact that material per unit goes down as the number of units you produce go up. Does not account for what's called the experience or learning curve that when services are delivered over time by many a large staff, then the cost per uh, service unit goes down. So marginal cost allows for a more attuned pricing uh, strategy because it's taking into account some of the benefits of large economies of scale or experience and learning curves.